0: Well, good morning again. Uh, For the last three weeks, uh, we have been looking together at places where God uh, meets with somebody face-to-face. Last week, we talked together about Sarah and Abraham meeting God. And this morning, uh, we're going to talk about God face-to-face with their grandson, Jacob. So I'm going to read from Genesis 32, verses 22 through 31. That's printed in your order of worship. You can follow along there or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read from the end of Genesis 32. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let's pray for us. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now that you would use this word that we've read and heard together that we're going to talk about to meet us in the places where we are. You know exactly uh, where we are, what the disposition of our hearts and minds are, the weeks that we've come from, the days, the years, those of us who have faith, those of us who don't, those of us who are ready to hear from you, those of us who don't want to hear from you those of us who don't even know why we're here. You know where every one of us finds ourselves, and you know what we need, and we ask, Father, that you would show us the grace of that word incarnate, Jesus, and you change us by it, and we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, back at the end of uh, April, when we looked together at the prophet uh, Obadiah, I read from an essay called Missing Parts. Uh, maybe some of you are here and you remember that. Uh, Missing Parts is from a collection of essays written by men about being brothers. And Missing Parts was written by David Kaczynski, whose older brother Ted is the man that we call the Unabomber. And David Kaczynski writes something at the beginning of that essay that I have come back to a lot in the years since I first read it. This is what he says. He says, a brother shows you who you are. A brother shows you who you are. So I'm a brother. I have an older brother. And as I get older, that feels more and more true to me. Not just in the big, obvious ways, but in the small, quiet, subtle ways as well. A brother shows you who you are. And this is undoubtedly true in the life of the man that we just read about. From the moment that Jacob was born, he is defined by and he begins to form himself into the man that he will become in relationship to his older brother, Esau. Maybe you know this story. Maybe you're a little bit familiar with it. I think it's one of the most beautiful and compelling and heartbreaking stories in the Old Testament. It runs from Genesis 24 to Genesis 36. It begins with us being told that Jacob's mother, Rebecca, was unable to have children and that her father, Isaac, prayed that God would make the impossible happen and God did. Rebecca didn't just have one son, she had two sons. Jacob and Esau were twins. And even before those two were born, they were in conflict. We're told that they struggled together in their mother Rebecca's womb and that her pregnancy was so bad that at one point she prayed to God and said, why is this happening to me? When they were born, Esau came out first, but then there was Jacob right behind him with his hand grabbing onto Esau's heel. It is a perfect picture of Jacob's life. And we're told that's why his parents gave him the name Jacob, because Jacob means the heel catcher, the cheater, the supplanter. And as the story of Jacob's life unfolds, his name and his identity become absolutely indistinguishable. He preys on his older brother's nature and he cheats him out of his birthright. And later, with the help of his mother, Rebecca, he preys on the blindness of his father and he cheats his older brother again out of the blessing of the firstborn. Jacob is an opportunist. He's always trying to shift things to his advantage and he is incredibly effective at it. He is also now, after this second cheat of his brother, a fugitive in his own land. His brother Esau was a man of the field. He was a skillful hunter. Jacob was a quiet man who preferred living in tents. And so now he rightly fears for his life. And Esau, for his part, made his intentions towards his brother crystal clear. Is he not rightly named Jacob? He has cheated me these two times. I will kill my brother Jacob. So Jacob flees far away. He goes to his uncle Laban. And on the way, he has this incredible dream. It's in Genesis 28. Sometimes we call it Jacob's Ladder. And one of the things that's so remarkable about that dream is that through it we find, as improbable as it seems to us who have followed this story along, what's remarkable is that in that dream we find that God means good even for a cheat like Jacob. Despite the fact that Jacob has never once inclined himself towards God, God inclines himself towards Jacob. And he promises to be with him wherever he goes and to eventually bless all of the families of the earth through his family. Now, if this moment of great grace to Jacob has any lasting effect, we do not get to see it. He gets to Haran where his uncle Laban lives. He marries both of his daughters. He starts having children. He becomes incredibly prosperous, incredibly wealthy, and unsurprisingly, things go sour with Laban. And Jacob works another angle. He decides to leave with all of his wealth while Laban is occupied in other work. The cheater works the angles again to his advantage. And he heads home. But now he's going to have to face his past. Namely, he's going to have to face his brother Esau. But Jacob has a plan. He's always got a plan. He's got this thing figured out. He sends messengers out ahead of him to Esau to flatter Esau, to bribe him, to tell him of his great wealth, to tell him, I'd like to find favor with you, Esau. But those messengers that Jacob sends out come back with horrific, hair-raising news. Esau is coming to meet you, and he has 400 men with him. Jacob is terrified that Esau is going to come and kill him and kill his family, so finally, for the first time in his life, he prays a desperate prayer. And here's what he prays. It's in verse 9 of this chapter. He says, O God of my father Abraham, I am not worthy of the least of all of the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown me. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother. The tiniest love that you have shown me. The tiniest, most insignificant kindness you have shown me, God. I'm not worthy of any of it. Please help me. So Jacob prays that prayers and he works his last plans. He divides his entourage into groups and he saves the, sends them out in waves with gifts to his brother, hoping again to bribe them out, bribe him out of what he assumes are his murderous intentions. And then finally at night, he sends his wives and children away for their own safety. He sends them across the river and Jacob, we are told, was left alone. I think this is maybe the most important line in the story. Jacob was left alone. Jacob is a crook. He is a clown. He is a liar. He is a schemer. He is a cheat. Jacob has worked the angles his whole life, but now he is alone. There are no more plans to be hatched. There is no one left that he can manipulate into doing what he wants. There is no more scrambling. There is no more control that he can exert. No more heel catching. No more cheating he can possibly cook up. It's just Jacob alone facing a situation that was beyond him with no way out. And he is vulnerable. And I think... (laughs) This is probably a great place for people like us to see if we can't find our own place in the story. And maybe the best way to find our place in the story is to ask ourselves a question What feels like darkness on the shores of the river River Jabbok to me? What feels like darkness on the shore of that river to you? In what place in your life do you feel like you are alone, completely facing something outside of your control, and all the tricks in your bag are used up? All of his life, all of his life, Jacob could work it. He was good with people. If he didn't charm them, he could control them. He could manipulate them. Sometimes he could even get them to help him. He usually got what he wanted because he had considerable skill and talent. He was smart and he was quick. But he's at the end of his rope now. And he is starting to slip. And I think that people like you and I probably know what that feels like. Maybe some of us feel that about a relationship that we're in And we've tried everything that we have, everything to make this thing work, and nothing is helping, and we're watching that person that we care about harden in their position against us. So we redouble our efforts. We pour it on everything that usually works in every other relationship that we're in, everything that usually does the trick, and still it has no effect. Maybe some of us feel in the dark about the fact that we are not in a relationship but we want to be. We've tried everything and we're alone. Maybe some of us feel in the dark about our vocation or our calling or our career. We've hit a plateau. We don't know how to get off it. You've fallen out of favor. You don't know why. You just can't seem to please that person that you need to please. Maybe we feel in the dark because someone that we love is really sick. Or maybe two people that you care about are estranged from each other. Or maybe one of your kids is drifting away from you, from the family, from the faith. I don't know what your thing is, Church. I I have my own list. And as the years roll by, it just gets longer. And no amount of Jacobean control or manipulation or charm or skill can even make a dent in the thing that we're facing. So here is the question, church. What is the best thing that can happen to people like us who find ourselves in places like that? What do we need the most when we have reached the end of our considerable bag of tricks and they are not working well here's what happened to Jacob (laughs) he got jumped Jacob got jumped out of nowhere from the darkness somebody jumps Jacob I can't imagine what he must have thought is this some kind of river demon or something or worse is it Esau has he slaughtered my family now and come for me And there is no answer. All night long they wrestled, covered in the mud from the shore, cut up by the reeds that they're falling over again and again, straining every muscle. They grapple with each other all night long. And I'm sure, I'm completely sure Jacob didn't think this at the time, but I hope that it's obvious to us. This is Jacob's whole life concentrated into one terrifying night. Heel-catching and supplanting and grappling for the advantage. Only this time, who is his dark opponent? I mean, all his life, Jacob thought he knew. He, he knew he had wrestled with his brother for his birthright and his dad for his blessing and his uncle for his wives and his wealth. And he, Jacob, knew it. He had done that all on his own. He had wrestled. He had won. He always did. And now he's in the fight of his life and he is holding his own against this guy just like he always did. This man did not prevail against Jacob. Until he wanted to. (laughs) His mysterious opponent reaches out his hand and with one small touch, Jacob's hip is wrenched violently out of joint. The pain must have been excruciating, but I think that was nothing. I think it would have paled in comparison to the terror of realizing, now I know who I'm wrestling with. Jacob knows now. Jacob knows his opponent could have snapped his spine at a distance, could have crushed him with the blink of an eye, could have put out his hip at any point during the night just as easily as he finally did, but he did not. God was face to face with him and he had wrestled with him all night and then God had waited for dawn to end it. It's hard to know why. I don't know why. (laughs) The fight is over and God says to him, let me go for the day has broken. I don't know, maybe God knew that if Jacob saw him face to face in the, in the light of the sun, it would undo him. This unveiled sight of God, even in this human form or angelic form or whatever it is, maybe that would have been too much for Jacob. But at any rate, God says, let me go. For the day has broken, and then this is when the story takes a completely unexpected and very incredible turn. Instead of letting him go and begging for his life to be spared, Jacob clings to him like a vice and says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The violence is over. The fight is over. And now Jacob is just hanging on out of need. He's like a drowning man hanging on because he knows he has only got this one shot. He's like this scared kid, terrified at the prospect of leaving his mother's side. He somehow guesses that this is his only hope. So here's what Jacob's doing. He is hanging on to God, even after he has been wounded. Perhaps he's hanging on to God precisely because he has finally been wounded. He's got nowhere else to go. His wrestling days are over. His whole life, his whole life had been a wrestling match against his brother, against his father, against his uncle, against anyone who stood between what he wanted and him. And now, in that moment, as the light is breaking over the horizon, he has finally realized something. It is not his own self-sufficiency. It is not his own skill or talent or cunning. It is not his ability to work it that he really needs anymore. It is the God to whose legs he so desperately clings that he needs. Without knowing it, he has been wrestling with for God's blessing his whole life. And now it might finally be over. Now, I suppose God could have uh, just told him that. <laughs> I suppose God could have just come to the river and told him that, hey, Jacob, just... Stop trying to work life on yourself, by yourself. Just stop trying to work life without me. Stop relying just on you. Jacob, it only leads to pain when you try to put the pieces of your life together without me. I'm what you have been looking for, Jacob. God could have just come to the Jabbok and told him that. But he didn't. I don't know if Jacob would have heard him without the wound. And that's worth paying attention to. (laughs) Are you wounded? How much more real would you like God to be? And it's into precisely this moment that God does something we've seen him do over and over again. We saw him do it last week with Abraham and Sarah. He asks a question to which he already knows the answer. What is your name? Tell me who you are, Jacob. Speak it. I mean, God knows Jacob's name, for goodness sakes. (laughs) What he wants is for Jacob to say it one last time. I'm the heel-grabber God. I'm the supplanter. I'm the cheat. My name's Jacob. And then comes the astonishing grace of that moment. (laughs) Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man, and you have prevailed. God means good for a cheat like Jacob. He's not just given him a new name. He's given him a new identity. Jacob, now Israel, is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so Israel can't resist. He's answered God's question. So now he asks God a question. It's the same one. Please tell me your name. And God responds by asking Israel a question. (laughs) Why is it that you ask my name? Which is another way of saying, you know who I am. (laughs) God doesn't give him his name, but instead gives him the thing that he has been looking for his whole life. And there he blessed him. Now, what God said in that blessing, or if he even said anything, or maybe he just touched Jacob, we don't know. Um, But it's a mystery to us that is not lost on Jacob at all. He names the place Peniel. I have seen God face to face, and my life has been delivered. Then the sun rose on him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Jacob emerged from the fight of his life with a wound that would be with him the rest of his life. It gave him a new way to walk in the world. It gave him a new orientation. It was, that limp was for him and for all of us, an enduring sign of the wrestling that he had done with God. And it pointed not just to a new name, but more fundamentally to a reordering of his entire way of life. Away from self-sufficiency. Away from what he can bring to the table. Away from the frantic pursuit of blessing from people and things that could never really give it to him. And to God. He limps now. But he limps with God. And so you and I, man, church, we have to ask, what kind of God is this? What kind of God is this? What kind of God wrestles all night to a draw with a clown like Jacob? What kind of God would go to these lengths to do good for someone like him? And here's the good news, church. It's the good news that we can never hear enough. Our God is the kind of God who does that. There is no length to which he will not go for our good. He is the kind of God who is happy to jump us at the river if he needs to. And if you ever wonder about his promises of goodness, if you ever wonder if it could possibly be true, then remember that old Israel with his wound, with his limp, it's a pointer to the fact that it is indeed true because his greater son, Jacob's greater son, Jesus, he bears wounds proudly. He is wearing them now. These were wounds for us. The cross was not too great a price to pay for our blessing. And his resurrection means that we too can be given new names. Daughter and son. In Jesus, God means good for us. Will we cling to him? Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would help us to believe that you would use this word, that you would use the people around us, that you'd use the circumstances in our lives, even the darkness when we are alone, that you would use everything that you have to help us to believe that it is not our self-sufficiency, it's not our skill, it's not our talent, it's not being smart and clever. These are the things, these are not the things that we need. Help us to believe that it is you that we need. That it is your blessing and grace and goodness to us in Jesus that we need. Help us to believe it every day of our lives. Especially when we are in the dark alone. Do this for our good and the good of the broken world around us. And then we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.